You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Father, Son, and Spirit, we do thank you and praise you that you have made yourself known to us in and through the person of Jesus. And we praise you that all of Scripture bears witness to him. So we pray now that you would illumine the reading and preaching of your word by the power of your spirit, that we would be those who don't just walk away unchanged, but that we respond to your voice of love with obedience and with love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, church family. So great to see you again here in this crazy place. Oh my goodness, that is so annoying. Uh, if, if, I'm so sorry if you're annoyed by it, just know that I am twice as annoyed by it uh, today. It's like, it's like that fire alarm that just keeps beeping in your house and you can't make it go off. So this is just, we're just inviting the Spirit to help us to focus today. Well, we are, I'm so grateful that you're here um, as we experiment what it means to do life together um, and worship the Lord in this um, new unusual space Um, We are in this sermon series that we started last week on the Gospel of John called Come and See. As we're going to see today and throughout this whole series, John is inviting us to not just learn about Jesus, but to actually encounter him, experience him. And we're going to learn a lot about that today. So let's um, turn in God's Word to John 1. Um, Last week, we looked at verses 35 through 39, and and, and because it was just four verses and because I kind of stopped in the middle of a story, I'm just going to go back and read those four verses and then continue on through verse 51. So we're going to read John 1, 35 through 51. So let's hear God's word. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus replied, Come and see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying, and they spent that day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. Now, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who would follow Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called. Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Nathaniel asked, can anything good come from there? Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip even called you. And then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. I tell you, you will see greater things than that. Verily, truly, I tell you, 
you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Come and see. Come and see. So we talked about last week that these are the words that all of us use to invite another person to encounter with us something that we've seen, something that we've experienced, something beautiful, important, impacting. Um, just, just yesterday, uh, I was actually working on this sermon in my kitchen, and my 11-year-old Franny called to me from the other room. She was working on this little circuit board that she got for Christmas. She said, Dad, come and see this. So I went in and saw, experienced it with her. So whether it's a, a, a sunset or a movie or a painting or a song or a meal, there are so many things in life that can't be just simply described with words, right? You can't just describe them with a description. And so what do we do? We invite another person to experience with us what we have experienced ourselves. So when you say, come and see to someone, you're not just inviting them to see something with their eyes, you're inviting someone to experience something with their whole life. Does that make sense? You're inviting people into an experience. And so what I want y'all to see today is that as we hear Jesus say these words, come and see, he's saying them to you, he's saying them to me, he's saying them to all of us, come and see. He's actually inviting each and every one of us into an experience. What is it? What is the experience that Jesus Christ is inviting you into? Well, even just from these early stories about these disciples, we can see a little bit of the experience that Jesus is inviting all of us into. And what I want to look at today is just that I want to see that experience in three headings. First, that Jesus is inviting us to a inward experience of self-realization. Uh, second, he's inviting us into an outward experience of other orientation. And then finally, he's inviting us into an upward experience of God revelation. Okay, so let's, let's look at those things together as we look at this story. First of all, Jesus is inviting us into an inward experience of self-realization. Now, self-realization may sound like um, sort of a, some borrowed language from the secular psychology movement, which, which it is. However, what I want you to see is that there's a real way that we can capture that language and look at what Jesus is actually offering to us today. In fact, this isn't entirely um, foreign to the Bible and to the theologians of the church. John Calvin in the 16th century said this, nearly the whole of sacred doctrine consists in these two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. Knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. So Calvin is saying that the gospel of Jesus is the invitation not only to know who God is, but also to know who you are, to know yourself. So when I say self-realization, what I mean is that Jesus is inviting you into a true understanding of who you are so that you can see yourself through the vision that God himself has of you. We see two interesting examples of this here, okay? So first, look at Jesus's interaction with Simon, who becomes Peter. Um, remember last week, or we saw in the beginning of the story, Andrew and his buddy, um, they go and spend the day with Jesus. And after that, it says that Andrew gets so excited that he went and got his brother Simon to bring him to Jesus too. So here comes Simon. In verse 42, it says that Jesus looked up and he 
saw, he looked at Simon. And the Greek word there for looked at is actually the word that means he gazed upon or looked deeply into. What we're gonna see about Jesus is that Jesus has like spiritual x-ray vision. He never just looks at you, he looks into you, which can be both amazing and unnerving, right? (laughs) And so Jesus immediately looks into, not just at, but into Peter and sees not just all that he is, but all that he will become. And he does something bold. He says, you are Simon, son of John, but I'm gonna call you Rocky, which is literally what Jesus says. He says, Cephas, which is the Aramaic word for rock. He says, I'm gonna call you Rocky. Now, does this perfectly describe Peter at this point? No, not really. We're gonna say that in many ways, uh, Peter is, is anything but Rocky. In fact, I think a better name for him at this point would have been Sandy, um, because as we'll see, he is very fickle and very difficult to pin down, and he's pretty faithless at certain points. But what I think is so beautiful is that Jesus never just sees who a person is, he sees what Jesus will make them to be, right? He names him, he names him, and then makes him so. He names him, and then Peter goes on to become one of the great pillars of the New Testament church. Another great example of this is Nathaniel. In verse 46, Jesus meets Nathaniel, and Nathaniel, we can see, um, I, I love Nathaniel because, you know, I, at core, am a bit of a cynic, and, and Nathaniel is too. Nathaniel's a cynic, he's pretty skeptical about Jesus at first. And as he walks up, Jesus says, behold, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. The old King James version says, in whom there is no guile. What Jesus is talking about Nathaniel's character, he describes him in a way that is so precise and clarifying that Nathaniel feels like no one has ever known him this well before. He describes him as unpretentious and and, and transparent, that Nathaniel's a person who just says it like it is. And Nathaniel's amazed by this, right? Not only that Jesus somehow miraculously saw him when he was all by himself under a fig tree, but that truly that Jesus is seeing him all the way down to the bottom. He's seeing him deeply. He's seeing his character. He's seeing his personality. And that somehow in this, Jesus is also naming him, calling him into his unique calling and purpose among Jesus' disciples. So this is the first thing that Jesus does when you come to him. He sees you, he names you and calls you. He doesn't just see who you are, but he sees who you will be. Do you remember that great story in the Old Testament? Kids, you might remember this story where there's this this guy named Gideon and uh, and, and um, the Canaanites are attacking Israel and Gideon is terrified. And so do you remember what he did? He hid in the bottom of a wine press. And the angel of the Lord comes along and he looks down at Gideon down, hiding and trembling in the bottom of this wine press. And he says, behold, mighty warrior. <laughs> now that is exactly what he is not at that point. But you see, this is what God does. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ does as he looks and he doesn't just see who you are, but he names you what you will be. And in some ways by naming you, he makes you into what you will be. There's a, there's a famous story about Michelangelo. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a great story. It's maybe a myth, but that Michelangelo um, took this piece of marble that all these other sculptures and all these other artists had discarded. But he said when he looked at the marble, he just saw David. He saw the David. And so he just took away all the parts of the, of the block that were not David. 
where everyone else saw a block of flawed stone, Michelangelo saw a masterpiece. And this is what God does when he, he, he makes us what he sees us to be. Jesus sees the block that is you, and he calls the real you out of it, right? To Gideon, you are a warrior. To Peter, you are a rock. To Nathaniel, you're the real thing. He knows who people are deep down inside, and he wants them to know who they are. He wants you to know who you are and who God has always intended you to be. These days, everybody says that knowledge of self comes from you looking within. It's up to you to determine who you are. But one of the problems with that is that when you look within, at least I know when I look within, I've got to see all these emotions and passions and feelings and desires, and those things change, right? And are they healthy? And are they good? And how do I know whether what I'm seeing inside of me is a good thing or a bad thing or an indifferent thing? And what we need, I think, is someone outside of us to name us, to tell us who we are, to give us an identity that is untouchable and irrevocable and that can't be touched and changed by circumstances and by the opinions of others so that on days, especially that you forget and that you feel worthless and that you don't even know who you are, you can hear the voice of God saying to you, this is who you are. You are mine. You belong to me. You have a gift and a purpose and a plan. You are my beloved. This is who you are. So this is what the first thing we see is that Jesus looks at you intently. He knows you. He longs that you would see yourself through his eyes and that you would become what God always intended you to be, an inward experience of self-realization. Second, though, uh, the second thing I think that we see in these stories, what happens to people when they meet Jesus, is that they are inevitably oriented outward, outward to share with others what they themselves have experienced in Jesus. Look at the pattern here. It's so interesting. John the Baptist tells Andrew about Jesus, and Andrew then meets Jesus, and then he goes and tells his brother Simon, who he brings to Jesus, and then Jesus went and finds Philip, and Philip meets Jesus, and then Philip went and finds Nathaniel, who meets Jesus himself. And so the pattern is that one person encounters Jesus and experiences something in meeting him, and then they get so excited that they go get a friend or a family member so that they can then meet Jesus too. Now, this is what has traditionally by the church been called um, evangelism, which literally means to share good news, evangelism. Now, that word is kind of a freighted word. It, um, I don't know what that word does for you, whether it starts making you twitch or, or something or makes you happy, whatever, I don't know. But I think for a lot of people, the word evangelism evokes ideas of confrontational conversations and passing out really awkward tracks from the 80s with strange charts or having awkward conversations that make strangers feel uncomfortable. Um, and here's the thing, Christianity is indeed a missionary faith. Followers of Jesus share about Jesus with other people. But I think what I love about this story is that in this story, we don't see any of that sort of guilt-laden, um, confrontational awkwardness. There's no techniques, there's no personal manipulations, there's no forced or awkward conversations in these stories. It's just one friend telling another friend, come and see, come and see what I've experienced. Just like when you see a sunset or you watch an amazing soccer goal online and you just really want your friend or your spouse to see it with you, when someone really experiences God's love in Christ and meets Jesus authentically, the natural inclination is 
want to share that with others. That's what we see here. People finding other people they love and bringing them to Jesus. Now, if that makes you feel uncomfortable or feels overwhelming to you, let me just note a few things in this story that may make it easier for you. First of all, note that this kind of sharing is not impersonal, uh, but relational, right? Note that brother reaches out to brother, friend reaches out to friend. There's no preaching to strangers in the street here, although that certainly comes later on in the book of Acts, but that appears to be an exception and not the rule. Uh, We know from church history that the main way that the good news about Jesus spreads is through friendship, through relationships. Just one person bringing along another friend or another family member to encounter Jesus. It's not impersonal, but relational. Second, we see that this kind of sharing of your faith is not by presentation, but by invitation. Okay, not by presentation, but by invitation. Andrew doesn't say to his brother, Simon, hey, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or else, right? In fact, he doesn't tell Peter to do anything. He just tells him to come, to come with me and come and see. This is this natural, joyful enthusiasm. We have found the Messiah. There's no techniques. There's no in-your-face lectures. There's no prepackaged messages. It's just a simple invitation to encounter what he himself has experienced. Every single person that you meet is different. Uh, and that's why I just think that prepackaged materials and formulas just don't really work because every person is different. Every person has their own story. Every person has their own baggage and their own wounds. And so what we're inviting people into is not to accept a formula. What we're inviting people into is to meet a person and let Jesus then do whatever he wants to do in that person's life. So it's not presentational, it's invitational. And finally, this kind of faith sharing is not arrogant, but humble. When Philip tells Nathanael in verse 45, we have found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, Nathanael replies with total skepticism. Did you see that in the text, verse 46? He says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael apparently is a student of the Hebrew scriptures. He knows that there is no mention in the entire Old Testament of Nazareth. There is no mention that the Messiah would come from some nowhere place like Nazareth. And so this is actually a very challenging question. It's a challenge to him. But I love how Philip responds. Instead of saying, how dare you question the Messiah of God? Or instead of like pulling out his apologetic notebook and proving to him that Jesus is somehow the Messiah, Philip just says, I don't know. I have no idea. But just come and see right? He takes Nathaniel's question seriously. He doesn't dismiss it. There's no pat religious answer. He admits his own ignorance, but he also has the confidence to just kind of invite him along to explore. I'm sorry, that light is also very annoying for you. Yeah. So we got the sound, we got the light, we got no heat. Yeah, this is great, y'all. This is really great. Um, <laughs> we're really teaching you. <laughs> how to focus your attention. (laughs) Look, here's the thing. Um, A lot of your friends and a lot of your colleagues and a lot of your neighbors have really good questions about the Christian faith. And frankly, there's a lot of good reasons not to believe. But I don't know why, but for some reason, Christians feel like they need to not take those things seriously or dismiss them or act like they know all the answers or act really arrogant or just not even talk to the person because they're afraid they're supposed to know everything. But you don't. In fact, there's a whole, I've been to a seminary. I have a doctorate. There's a whole lot of things that I don't know or understand about the mystery of our faith. 
And so the goal is not to convince people of the answers. The goal is just to invite them into an experience, to come and see. One of the things that happens when someone meets Jesus, we see, is that they are inevitably oriented outward to share with others what they've experienced in Christ. And I just want to encourage you, third family, what an opportunity we have right now to invite friends and neighbors along, uh, because here, Jesus is present with us, even here in this space, in this mall, in the reading and preaching of God's word in the community. And I just think everybody I've talked to is totally intrigued by that. So what an opportunity to reach out to your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues. I just want to encourage you to think about right now, who is one person in this season while we're here that you could invite to just come along? And that person might say to you, Regency? Can anything good come from there? (laughs) And what can you say? I don't know. (laughs) Come and see, (laughs) right? I love that. So just say, come and see. Now, if you're someone that was brought here, if you're someone who was exploring Jesus, I think the key lesson for you here is that the main way to get to know Jesus is through friends and through community. Um, You're not going to find Jesus unless you're found by a friend who's already been found by him, right? If Christianity was like a moral system or a philosophy in which you kind of work your way into enlightenment or into salvation, then yeah, you could probably become a Christian by reading a book or going to a lecture. But Christianity is not a moral system. It's not a philosophy. It's an encounter with a living person. And therefore, the main way that people come into faith in Jesus Christ is through friendship, relationships. And so I just want to invite you, bring your doubts, bring your skepticism, be like Nathaniel, ask them all, and let's do it together. Let's do it in this place. Let's do it in this community as we seek to know who this person is together. Okay, so what have we seen? We've seen that Jesus is inviting us into an inward experience to know ourselves. He's inviting us into an outward experience to reach out to others. And then finally, he's inviting us into an upward experience of God revelation. Look what happens at the end of our story. Um, Nathaniel is amazed, right? He's amazed that Jesus has so much knowledge about him. And um, he must have not been too much of a skeptic because this is like a pretty dramatic Southern Baptist conversion, right? He's like, I believe, (laughs) you know, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus replies in a very interesting way. He says, okay, Nathaniel, uh, you believe because I did a little magic trick. I saw you under the, the fig tree, but you're gonna see much greater things than this. In fact, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, um, he is making a reference here to a story from the Old Testament that any Jewish person would have immediately recognized. It's a story from Genesis 28. It's a story about a guy named Jacob. Um, some of you know about Jacob and his, his, uh, his swindling ways. Um, Jacob had really, in many ways, botched up his life by Genesis 28. He had deceived a lot of people and broken a lot of relationships. And at this point, he is running through the desert, fleeing for his life, feeling like he had lost God, lost his family, lost everything. And so he lays down in the desert and he goes to sleep. And in, while he's sleeping, he has this dream of a ladder. And it's a ladder that stretches, that goes from, just, to, just picture this in your mind. It's a ladder that goes from the earth, way up into heaven, and he sees angels walking <laughs> like, like an escalator <laughs> going up and down, up and down from heaven and earth. 
And so Jacob wakes up and he's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, right? I'm not alone. I thought I was alone, but God is here and God is bridging. You know, I felt God was far away. I thought God didn't see me or know me or I thought God wasn't with me. And here I see that God is bridging heaven and earth that he's coming right down, right into the heart of where I am in my desolation and in my loneliness. And so he called, he sets up a little pillar and he calls that place Bethel, house of God, gate of heaven. I thought I was alone, but I'm not alone. I thought God was hidden, but he's revealed himself to me. This is the place where God came to dwell with me. But of course, it was all just a dream. But here in John 1, Jesus says something amazing. He says to Nathaniel, hey, hey, Nate, remember that ladder that our ancestor Jacob dreamed about that stretched from heaven to earth? Guess what, my friend? I am the ladder. I am the bridge between heaven and earth. I am the revelation of God. I am the one who makes the invisible God visible. I am the one who makes the unknown God known. I am the one who brings the very presence of God right down into the desolation of your life. With me, you're not just gonna get little tricks and blessings from God. With me, you are getting the very presence of God himself. This is what Jesus is inviting you into. This, this, this is the, the ultimate experience that Jesus is offering you. You know, I just think that so many of us, so, so many of us, even in this room, settle for so little when it comes to our spiritual lives. I know I do. You know, we just come to church and we, I don't know, say a blessing before meals and we maybe get our kids baptized. And, but apart from that, I think for a lot of us, Christianity is just little more than a religious garnish on our otherwise thoroughly secular existence in which we are just drudging through the days, responding passively to the constant demands thrust upon us, and no wonder that so many of us are so miserable and unfulfilled. But look what Jesus is offering to you. He's saying, look, I'm offering you so much more than that. I'm offering, if you come to me, he says, you will see and know amazing things. I am the link between heaven and earth. Heaven will break open over your life and stay open permanently through me. You can come right into the presence of God and the very glorious presence of God will flood right into you. I'm offering you so much more joy and contentment and freedom and life and love that you have ever imagined. Come to me, he says. Come to me. The invitation is into a new kind of relatedness to God in which God is no longer on the margins of your life. He's no longer in the suburbs. He's, he's downtown. He's at the core. He's in the center so that you still, your life in many ways will look the same, and yet now you will dwell in the very presence of God and know the joy in the life that that brings. That's what Jesus is offering each of us. And that may sound like a tall order for you. That may sound like a long way from where you currently are with God. But I just want to say this, this is the good news, that you don't have to climb up the ladder to get to God. You don't have to work your way to him. You don't have to prove yourself. Jesus does not say, if you work really hard, you can ascend up that ladder to get to me. No, he says, I am the ladder. I have come to get to you. I've come down to live and die and rise for you. I came down to bring you up, to bring you in. Follow me, come to me, and I will bring you, bring you right into the heart of God himself.
That's the offer. To know and dwell and live in the presence of the, of the God who loves you. So Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, come and see. Come and experience something new that will change you when you come to him, trust him, follow him, which basically means to become his student, to become part of his, his community, to take up his way, that when you do that, these things will happen. You will increasingly know who you are as the one who belongs to God. You will increasingly move outward as you want to share the good news of Jesus with others that you have come to know yourself. And you will move more and more upward as you live more and more of your life in the, the joy and the freedom of living your life in the fullness of God's presence. So Jesus is looking at you, friends. He's looking deeply at you. He's gazing, he's laughing, he's gesturing. He can't wait to show you what he will do for you. He's saying to you, come and come and see. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that you have drawn near to us in the person of Jesus and that Jesus is present with us now through the Holy Spirit and that truly he is inviting each of us to come and see, not just to see, but to experience something powerful and new in our lives. We want to know who we are, truly, not what others say about us, but what you say about us. We pray that you would speak to us, that you would name us, that you would call us, and then we would be those who share the good news of your love with the world around us that is longing for hope, longing for meaning, longing for love. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, the one who says, come and see. We pray it in his name. Amen.